My name is Kay Tillo. I'm with Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, and this is Single Payer Radio. We have a show three times a week on Forward Radio. You can listen to it on 106.5 WFPL FM, or you can listen to it online if you go to forwardradio.org. Uh, we're delighted today to have with us two very remarkable people. Um, one is Barbara Casper. She is a physician who practices internal medicine in Louisville, and she is an advocate for a healthcare reform that would follow a single payer model and allow every single person to have coverage. And our guest is Matt Fentress, who is um, a patient <laughs> and a worker and someone who uh, knows a lot about the healthcare system in our country and what needs to be done to fix it. So I'll let uh, you two introduce yourselves. Matt, where do you live? Hi, my name is Matt Fentress. I live in uh, Taylor Mill, Kentucky currently, but my heart is still in Louisville. <laughs> Good, and where is Taylor Mill? It's in Covington, Northern Kentucky. Yeah, I think, is it Kenton County? Yep, Kenton so. County. Yep. Okay, and Dr. Casper? So um, I, up until recently, I just retired. I was professor of medicine uh, at the University of Louisville, where I spent 22 years taking care of um, uh, patients who were underinsured or uninsured, um, in addition to teaching residents and students. And prior to that, I did uh, had a similar position at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, where I was there for about uh, 13 years. So um, had a long time of taking care of folks um, in internal medicine, both in the inpatient and the outpatient setting. Great. And um, Matt is with us because he's been in the news a lot lately to tell about his experience with our health insurance system, which um, we'd like you to just start wherever you'd like, perhaps from the stuffing cannolis. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I was 25 and I was at work and it was an easy day. We had pizza delivered in because all the chefs were in town to do this big old uh, Porktoberfest that they used to have in Butchertown. I don't know if they still do or not. And um, so while I'm stuffing cannolis, next thing I know I get dizzy, so I go to one knee and then I come through with my my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, holding my head, crying because I apparently just completely passed out. Come to find out, my heart went into a deadly rhythm and I, my heart went into a deadly rhythm and I was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. Um, and then from there on, it's been constant doctor visits or hospital stays until I uh, finally found the right doctors and they put me on the right medicine and they put me on the right path. But that path led us to January this year where I had the ablation, which started all of this. So, uh, you know, Matt, before the, the uh, uh, recording, we were discussing the the quality of the care that you had received, and uh, you mentioned that you felt like you'd received superb quality of care, and and mm -hmm. that it really saved your life, um, yeah. which is awesome. So, um, but what were the consequences of the care that you received to you economically? Um, bankruptcy. <laughs> I was hit with a lot of bills, and the hospital originally sent me to collection agency. This was. I think I was 27, 28. It's all been a blur the last six years. Um, so they sent me to collection and I missed one of the payments and they told me I had to double the payment or they were going to send me to court and sue me. Uh, I couldn't do that. So I was like, well, it's either this or I'll talk to the, I've been thinking about bankruptcy anyways, because I don't know how I'm going to pay all these bills. 
And they're like, well, we'll see you in court. And I'm like, no, you won't. And then I filed for bankruptcy. So uh, what, uh, if you don't mind sharing, how much money did you owe at that point? I think five grand. Five grand. And, and, and this was in spite of your insurance? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I've had the same insurance, which from what everybody's been telling me is actually really is pretty good insurance comparatively. So that kind of scares me a little bit to see what other people are dealing with. And, and what was the, what were the five, what was the five? So people understand here's somebody who's working full time, mm -hmm. who has good, good insurance, mm -hmm. has a health um, scare, a big scare mm -hmm. where you could have died and mm -hmm. um, had great care, what, you know, mm -hmm. and survived but then end up with a very large bill. So what, what, how did you get that bill with, with um, having good insurance? Uh, the copay, well, the copays only go so far. And if you don't meet your deductible yet, you still have to pay up to that. And hospitals love upcharging. So, you know, the $40 aspirins, they kind of catch up to you after a while. Right, right. So did, did you receive an itemized bill did, so that you could see what you were actually being charged for? Not for that one. For the one in January, I did. But I didn't know enough at the time before my bankruptcy to ask for those kind of questions and to see what uh -huh. was going on. So you never actually knew what the charges were for or mm -hmm. anything. So, And that was in the, the bankruptcy for the first one. It was majorly influenced by Baptist. But at the same time, I had some things that insurance did not cover that I was needed at the time to keep me in shape that was also haunting over me. I was at, my insurance didn't cover my cardiac rehab that I had to go to. Mm -hmm. um, my insurance didn't cover the life vest I was put on. So that was a thousand dollars a month. So all that added up plus the hospital stays and the ER visits, which are billed separately and barely ever covered. And then the doctor visits and all that stuff. So it was 5000 to the hospital, which was the main reason I filed for bankruptcy, but all the other factors into it. And did they explain why they did for some of these things like the life vest? Or... Mm -mm, no. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know I was, you know, young and right. I'm still, I still don't understand how insurance works all the way. It's really complicated. Join the club. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of, and that's, that's the, the really um, important message I think that you're sharing is that, you know, people don't really understand until you need it. Often you don't understand mm -hmm. what you have and what the consequences are. So, so when the second procedure occurred, um, sounds like you had a little bit more, you were a little more savvy about the process. So did you approach that differently um, in anticipation of having that done? Well, I'll go back. So I got with the doctors I had now, the ones who I owe everything to. After my second, um, I completely died in my sleep. Like I was gone. Like my wife realized I stopped breathing in the middle of the night. She pulled me off the bed and her and my roommate did CPR for 11 minutes. I was brought to the hospital. I was put in a coma. I was frozen. You know, I was, um, and, uh, they fired my old doctors. They hired the ones I'm with now, the ones that I owe everything to the fantastic doctors that I have now. And they put a pacemaker in me. They put a defibrillator in me. You know, they, and then they're the ones who saved me. So before that, though, I told my wife that she wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. And if I got sick again, then I was done. Like, that was where I was. Like, I, I was, you know, I was 25, already told I can't do anything. You know, most of the stuff I didn't get to, I don't get to eat the food I like. I didn't get to drink. I didn't get to party with my friends. I had to go to bed early, all that stuff. So I couldn't find, I couldn't see past the financial burdens that I was going to be given if I had to go to the hospital again. But my wife, she didn't take that as a good answer. So she blessed, you know, thankfully she called the house, the, the 911 on me and they saved me. But so, yeah, <laughs> I consider not even living in the past because of financial burden. So before the surgery, just to make my life better quality, it was a very 
deep consideration that me and my wife had to talk about. So you're 25 years old and making a decision that because of the economic, you know, consequences that you might consider not even getting any more treatment. Is that what you said? I was, yeah, that was after everything I went through the first time and after filing bankruptcy, I told her I was done. Wow. So it sounds like uh, for the second episode, when your heart stopped, uh, which sounds terrifying, actually, I I can't imagine what your wife and roommate went through, that you didn't have any choice about where you went, or you couldn't even, um, like, say, is one place cheaper than the other. Mm -hmm. So there's one of the things that I think um, uh, that has been proposed as far as insurance is concerned that we do, the consumers shop a little better Mm -hmm. and make better decisions. Well, if your heart has stopped and you're such a dire circumstance, you know, usually the the EMS will take you to the first available hospital that can take care of whatever problem you have. And so Mm -hmm. is it, was that your experience and, and, uh, well, it doesn't allow me to really shop for that. So. Yeah, no, there wasn't any, you, there isn't, I was going to Baptist the first time and when I was 25, even though I wasn't in that dire situation. So I made that my hospital because that's the one I got used to. But right. when I was 25, I definitely didn't look, I, again, I told them I didn't, when I try when I first went out, I actually told the EMS that I wasn't going to the hospital and my boss and everybody made me go because I knew about the financial situation. Wow. Because medical bills aren't exactly new to my family. So do you have family members who've had some issues Mm -hmm. too? Yeah. My mom has had uh, two brain tumors removed off her brainstem and that was growing up and my sister had asthma growing up. So medical bills have like always kind of held my family back to from where we should be. Mm, did, did your family have insurance at the time? Mm-hmm. Yep. We had insurance, but it doesn't change the situation for the stress that people no. are going through. I think the most tragic thing is the idea that some people consider letting themselves go and die because of the stress of the financial burden. I think that is so inhumane. It's just something that our country has to put an end to. Uh, It's such a violation of everything we hold dear, you know, the right to live, the right to the care that the country has the ability to offer. And we're the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, You know, we have the ability to make sure that everybody Every single person has that right. And you know, the last thing you need, particularly when your heart's got a problem, is the stress, right? Yeah. And it's, I always bring up, you know, in a Declaration of Independence, it says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's taken as a promise to our citizens. You know, that's the reason we built this country life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But we can't afford to live. Because that promise has been broken. You know, we cannot afford the health care needed to protect us. So we're not able to live. So, and even if we do live, we don't have liberty because of the financial restraints that we're stuck with. So, yeah, we are pursuing happiness, but we're never going to gain it. That's just how I've always looked at it. And that's how I've always talked about it to people when they ask me about my medical bills and stuff. It's, I feel like our country has broke a promise to its citizens Be by being the only G7 nation that does not have some sort of backbone to take care of its people because they put the needs of a few above the needs of the the many. And you know, it's not that uh, we're not spending money. You know, our Mm -hmm. nation, uh, you seem to be well aware of the issues. Our nation spends about double per capita what the other industrialized nations spend. And yet we're doing worse. We are uh, uh, worse in infant mortality. More of our babies die in their first year of of life. And we have shorter lifespan. I think we are four years uh, below Italy. And uh, we have just a whole range of issues. We are now even with 
the Affordable and Care India Act, had which, which uh, uh, did, you know, cover another 20 million people, we still have 30 million people who don't have any insurance at all. And that's a terrible problem. And But then on top of it, we have the people who are insured like you, who whose insurance is so inadequate uh, that the basic purpose of insurance is not served. You know, the basic purpose is to assure that you get care and you mm -hmm. even hesitated to seek the care because of the financial problem. And the other thing is that you declared bankruptcy. What does it mean for someone your age to have declared bankruptcy? Well, at, you know, for my generation, it seems that we have to have tempered expectations. A lot of people seem to uh, think that the American dream is to become rich and travel the world and all that stuff. For me, and a lot of the people I know, it's buying a house. That seems to be, and that's out of my reach almost, you know. Like, it's going to be really hard for me, especially after the housing market collapsed and the bubble burst in the early 2000s, for me to get a loan because of my bankruptcy will be on my record and it'll take a while for me to build back my credit, which I don't have a credit card because I don't want that burden on me. So that's another thing I'm not added to. Um, but yeah, so that's mainly it is I just want to be able to buy a house eventually. And that's always going to be something that this bankruptcy that's even at a young age, it was something I had to do, but it's always going to be like a, like a red mark on my record. So Matt, did you, um, uh, it's interesting to me to, uh, I mean, I'm, again, so sorry that this happened to you and, and um, that you're having to deal with it, but it also, can you speak a little bit? I mean, the, the, the difficulty is that no one wants to be sick, right? No one wants to get sick. <laughs> yeah, and, I didn't plan this. To get uh, basically your life upended because of the economic, you know, surviving but having the, the economic consequences. Can you talk about your friends your age who didn't get sick, who what what they're able to do now that you're not able to just because of this particular circumstance that happened to you? Um, well, all my friends, majority of them do own houses already. Um, they, you know, they go to ball games without thinking about it. You know, that's not a, they can go out to a bar and watch a game, you know, they can hang out with people in general. Like everything I've been through, it gave me, and the reason we did the ablation is because my doctors realized this is I've, the second incident somehow, even though I wasn't aware of what happened, it caused me to have tremendous anxiety with everything because at any moment I feel like I'm going to go out and I don't want to interrupt other people's lives by me doing that but I also don't want to deal with that so I feel safer in my little cocoon which is my house mm -hmm. and so that's why we did the ablation is to give me quality of life and also to try to heal my heart by giving my heart less strain you know and um but yeah I'm and my poor wife, she's got to deal with it too. You know, my credit is going to be her credit and she's a saint. <laughs> That's <laughs> the only way I can, I can put it is she's my hero personally. And, um, but yeah, we look around and we see all our friends, you know, buying cars and, you know, getting houses and here we are, you know, we rent a house. We're lucky enough to be able to do that. But even finding an apartment when we were moving, there were some places that wouldn't even consider us because of my bankruptcy. So that was a struggle. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's it, the, the inequity of, of this is pretty stunning from the standpoint of knowing your age should be under this. So, I mean, it'd be one thing if you'd gone out and bought, you know, all kinds of fancy cars and things <laughs> and got yourself into economic difficulty, but you were sick and, mm -hmm. and, and Thank goodness you got great care, but mm -hmm. um, it's the some in some ways the luck of the draw for people. You know, mm -hmm. you just happen someone else just happens to be healthy and not have had this, mm -hmm. and 
so has not had this economic setback. And I think that that's the thing that for me uh, is, it has, and it's been corroborated by all the patients I've seen over the years is it's just, just an unfair system um, that you're one health crisis away from having your life upended. And so, mm-hmm. and it, your life to kind of go one of two paths and, and there's, there's no, um, it's just not a fair thing. So, I mean, if we could level the playing field where everybody understood that if they were sick, they would get good, they would get the quality of care that you got, um, but not over it, then, you know, we could move through our lives, you know, with that confidence mm-hmm. that you're, you're not just one accident away from losing everything that you, you might have had. So, um, I think that's why, for me, not only your story, but I, I've got, heard multiple other years that I've cared for, it, it's just crucial that we change the system and, and, and make it where everybody has access to care um, and the quality of healthcare that you had, which is great. So yeah. this, the, the last time before the ablation, did you um, try to figure this out in advance about the cost and what to do? And, mm-hmm. and so, and then how did that work out? <laughs> so <laughs> we, uh, we put it off as long as we could because we wanted to see if it would be something I can get over without having to have the ablation. Right. Um, we did the ablation. I, we, we decided we'll do it in December. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't much time to get it in after I've used up most of my deductible for the last um right uh for the last year so there was nothing we could do there because you know you know scheduling stuff it takes a while and doctors are very busy especially really good doctors like the ones i have mm-hmm. and so um they so we did we tried our best to avoid it we tried our best to get it scheduled within the same period where Wayne hit me so hard but you know what can you do so that's, that's another thing that is kind of a bizarre thing with insurance. And Kay, you might speak to it, is that the yearly deductible, every year you have to um, meet that deductible. So people rush at the end of the year to try to get their procedures or whatever in because the clock starts over again in January. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened to you is that you know, you couldn't get it scheduled in time to, to, to come under that wire. And I, I don't know, that's a vagary of the system that I think really is um, hard on the doctors because I'm sure they wanted to accommodate you mm-hmm. too, but then also uh, the consequence. You and I know, Kay, do you have any thoughts on that too? Or uh, Well, I, I, I'm not sure how much Matt's deductible was, uh, but that's one of the things. My um, out-of-pocket was seven thousand seventy-five hundred, I think. Mm-hmm. My, um, I think that's what it was. Pretty uh, sure. But the deductible um, is the the part that uh, the person has to pay before the insurance starts paying anything, and then after that, um, there are still many, many, many more out of expenses, kind of a co-insurance or co-pays. Um, and the limits um, under the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, I think the limit now for a single person is something like 8,000 something out of pocket, which is so high <laughs> that there might as well not be a limit because for anyone with a moderate kind of working class income, $8,000 is far beyond their ability to pay in a year. It could be a quarter or a third of, of their entire income. And uh, that's a huge problem. I mean, we, we need to take away the deductibles and the co-pays because they are barriers to people seeking care. They're barriers to preventive care. And we all know, you know, preventive care, uh, especially with many uh, diseases and conditions, is key to survival. And all of these upfront payments, uh, the deductibles and the co-pays, keep people from being able to do that. And um, 
I, I know uh, I have a friend who's a nurse in an ICU and she tells about the patient uh, crying and she reassures her patient. She says, you know, you made it through the procedure fine. You're going to be okay. And she says, no, that's not the problem. This is going to bankrupt my family. Just let me die. Just let me die. And that just breaks my heart that we have a system that makes people want to die in order to save their families economically. And we just absolutely cannot continue to function under uh, such, a, such a system that is so cruel. Um, and it, uh, you know, it pits people against each other. Uh, uh, we have uh, people like yourself who have coverage and then we have people who got onto Medicaid and then some people, you know, say, well, they shouldn't get that. But everybody should get the care. You know, we have the ability to give care to everyone and we have to find the healthcare system that's going to be able to do that. And that's just my thinking. And I thought you're, you're so eloquent at telling the story about what it means for someone who can't pay. But, you know, you're not unique. I think that you're, you're unique in being outspoken and articulate, but you're not unique in being in a position where you're impacted and unable to deal with the expenses of your health care. I think it's something like 43% uh, of people 19 to 64 don't have adequate insurance, that they would be hurt economically if something mm -hmm. happens. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's not fair and it's not human. And of course, that's why we advocate national legislation that would give us a single payer system where there would be no payments at the point of service and everyone could choose their physicians and um, all of the facilities that they go to, et cetera. We're particularly angry at the profits in the system. Um, I don't know if you have an opinion about that, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, uh, it's crazy to me that we are the richest nation in the world. And we're also the youngest nation. We're, we got so powerful so quickly that we got to a point where we decided that we know everything better than everybody else. So we can't learn from lessons taught by the other nations that came before us, you know. But if you look around at all of our comparative allies and all the people who you can even, like, put to us in common ground with, like your England, your, your France, Germany, all of them have some sort of safety net for their citizens. They, they're not just a number in a system, you know, when you're when you're sick in America, you literally are just a walking price tag at that point. Your identity is taken away from you because all people see you because you're you're called constantly by bill collectors and insurance agents and all and hospitals and all they see a lot of the times is what can I get out of this person? How much can I how much juice can this lemon give me? Well when when you were um uh, uh, put on a payment schedule to try to pay off your bill. Could you tell us about that? So the first one before I put in bankruptcy, it was $150 a, uh, it was $150 a month, which was really stretching it for me. This current one that I've brought to light was $400 a month. That's about half of, that's more than half a paycheck for me. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and I tried to get a lower. They wouldn't let me, their automatic system wouldn't let me pay them less than that. I tried to pay like $100 to it. It said no. Wow. Uh, I've been blessed because the story, and I never intended for this, but the story came coming out on CBS. Some woman in Las Vegas named Karen saw my story and was moved and she paid $5,000 of my bill off. Wow. And that's amazing. And I will forever be indebted to her, but it's also something that she shouldn't have had to do that. We shouldn't live in a country where there, there, the solution to our problems is a GoFundMe account. Those right. things are fantastic, 
but we shouldn't have to rely on every citizen in the country giving like ten dollars to a person that they heard a problem of and that adding up we should be willing to pay the ten dollars in taxes and have that tax money actually go to helping the people instead of helping people who are already financially stable become more financially wealthy so i think that's a really important point because i i, I think uh, some of the politicians feel like that churches and other groups should help. The problem is the cost of healthcare has just skyrocketed. And so a you know charity probably if someone needed a bone marrow transplant, let's say for a malignancy, mm-hmm. the cost of that is astronomical, which could be life-saving for that person. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that a church could raise enough money to pay for that. So that's a fallacy to say that, well, these charitable organizations will kick in. And thank goodness that person saw your story and felt compelled to do that. And you're right, that really is just amazing but it doesn't affect the other people who are in the same circumstance in Turian. So I also found it interesting in the, in the newspaper when I was reading it, the, the difference in the usual cost for the last procedure you had and what you were being charged. And so that's, that's something that is, is a real issue uh, for the same procedure across different facilities mm-hmm the cost can be just dramatically different. You know, a hip replacement in one hospital costs, you know, I don't know, I'm making this up, $10,000. You go to another one, it's $40,000. What's the difference in that? There can't be a huge difference in, you know, the materials or et cetera. It's just what they can arbitrarily choose. So do you have a comment on that? Because it seemed like that was an interesting part of that um, uh, bill. It's crazy to me that the hospital I went to is considered a nonprofit organization and yet they upcharged more than other hospitals did. That the whole, they don't pay, they're nonprofit. So I'm not exactly 100% sure on that, but that means that they pay less in taxes or almost none, no taxes, correct? Like nonprofit organizations don't pay. So they can put their, their ex, you know, any profit that they receive can go as long as it goes back into improvements and things in the facility they're still considered a nonprofit. they don't have stockholders and yeah. things like that so you're, you're right so so but they can they, pay out uh, big uh, executive salaries yes, so yes. these nonprofit systems have people earning not earning but getting yes. <laughs> getting yes. without earning um, you know five million ten million whatever and um, they become a business and oriented not towards the service of patients, but towards maintaining their business plan and uh, the money that comes in. I, it's just uh, inhuman to me that they turn people over to collection agencies. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you're our patient, we're dedicated to patient care. They say that, they'll send you surveys and say, Please, you know, tell us how was the care. We want you to be happy. We want to know if you were satisfied with mm-hmm. how you were treated. And yet after the care, you know, it's the collection agency knocking on the door. And that's one of the reasons why we back a national single payer plan because hospitals would be covered under a global budgeting mm-hmm and would be given, um, allocated by the system, the money that they need to care for the patients that they have. But they would not be allowed to build 17 new wings to uh, do special things, whatever they wanted to do, nor to give millions to their CEOs. They would have to live within a budget that concentrated on reorienting the healthcare system to patient care. And a lot of people fear that because they don't want governmental regulation. Well, they don't understand that the insurance companies are already regulating the hospitals. An insurance company can tell a hospital how much they're allowed to charge and the insurance company will listen to it or the hospital will listen to it because they don't want to lose the money that they get from the insurance company. So we're just taking it out of pockets of a privatized company that is all centered on profits and we're put, we're going to be putting it into uh 
a the people who are supposed to be working for the citizens of the country. So instead of working for themselves, they're working for everybody. It's just a utilitarian solution. And I think that they, you know, uh, aside from the hospitals, the CEOs, you do have the insurance companies, and uh, I'm sure Kay will agree with me on this, that they don't really have any added value <laughs> to that. They, they are not providing care to patients, mm -hmm. uh, but their CEOs, their overhead is dramatically higher than, for example, the existing Medicare. Um, so if we went to a Medicare for all type of system, just the overhead would dramatically reduce the cost of care. And actually the dollars that are provided for that could go to taking care of patients rather than paying, you know, CEO salaries that are, um, in, my, in my opinion, quite absorbent for the value they add to patient mm -hmm. care which is not really anything, so. Yeah, you know, the, the insurance industry, uh, the health insurance industry, their interests are diametrically opposed to the interests of their patients. Mm -hmm. For, you know, if they deny a procedure, their profits go up. If they're able to limit what a person, the care a person can get, the profit increases. So it means that they are not geared to being caring, unlike physicians and nurses and other people who work in hospitals and nursing homes who are oriented around the service and around the care. And those people should have a really good salary and be paid well for the very uh, caring work that they do. But there's nothing of value that a health insurance company does and they put a barrier there. I don't know how many physicians spend hours and hours seeking to get approval for the, uh, the therapy or you know that they want to give to a patient that they believe in their professional opinion is the right thing, and the insurance company questions that. And who are they uh, to question what is right for the patient because they have a economic interest that is opposite of the patient and it's just wrong that's why we have to change the system it's not it's not a tweak here and there um, and it we're not proposing to change the delivery system you know the the same hospitals and physicians and nurses and everybody who works it's going to continue to be working and uh, those institutions will be there but the financing would change so that they are paid from a central fund and we're all in the same risk pool. And you know, I really like that idea because that's one of the ways that we can keep our system good is that the wealthiest people gotta be in the same, <laughs> the same place where we are. And that means that they will be in a position to want to keep the care of high quality and to keep our system well-funded. So Matt, it sounds like you you were on the receiving end, receiving end of that with your insurance company that mm -hmm. they would not approve your life vest. Is that correct? Yeah, they went. They didn't approve my life vest, um, the cardiac rehab, and even before the ablation. Now this isn't exactly insurance, but before the ablation, my doctors tried to switch me to another drug. That's a better drug, and mm -hmm. they tried to put me on Entresto. Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford that. Three hundred dollars a month for a pill. Mm -hmm. No, there's no way. So I didn't get on it. But if I got that medicine, if that medicine was uh, affordable, then I probably potentially could have avoided having the ablation altogether because apparently it's a better drug than the medicine I'm on. Mm -hmm. I'm still not on it. I'm still on the Carvedilol and Lisinopril. Those are fantastic. There's, you know, I love them. But it, uh -huh. I just wonder where I'd be if I was able to afford the, the better medicine. Right. And I, I think that's a, a key thing is that, again, you have insurance, but I, I'm aware of the cost of Entresto is it's a great, but it is expensive. Mm -hmm. And uh, even with an insurance, your copay um, is going to be pretty high. So um, that there are many times when that has happened for patients I've taken care of, too, with, for example, specific diabetes medicines that I thought were better options insulin mm -hmm. uh had to switch them around to something that was not as good because a patient's insurance wouldn't cover it so um it, it's and it's the insurance company's impetus as Kay said is to 
to keep as much money as possible. So um, if I'm a business and I'm paying the insurance company to administer insurance for my employees, um, that company wants to keep as much as they can. So they're going to try to decrease. Um, and I, I do think that there are some, some cases where a more expensive drug is not better. And so um, it, it's, you know, you may have the same outcome. And I've always been as a physician, so, you know, whatever is best for my patient and I'm fine to use it if it's equivalent. But it's, it's really difficult sometimes when you know that you can't get the right thing for your patient because they cannot afford the copay for it. So, yeah. I spent many hours on the phone with insurance companies fighting over this. So yeah. I understand that completely. So, um, but the whole drug thing is a big piece uh -huh. of, of the cost. And it's not adequately covered for anybody, even the people under Medicare. Um, you know, the drug plans are very expensive and uh, it's privatized and the drug companies uh, uh, charge uh, what they choose, basically. And uh, we have difficulty in even figuring out what are the best drugs because there's so much advertising and interference by these companies in our science. I know uh, uh, Dr. Marcia Angel, who was the uh, editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, said it was very, very difficult to figure out what to publish in the magazine uh, to be sure that it was not research that was tainted by drug company money or other people who had a profit interest in promoting certain things. And she said as hard as they worked to maintain the integrity of the science, that there were some things that slipped through on them where they published things that uh, were really pushed uh, for an economic profit reason rather than for a scientific reason. So it's very, very difficult and we have to get that out of the, out of the mix so that we are relying on uh, the best of science rather than uh, the, the pharmaceutical company that can do the most ads, right? I mean, <laughs> And there was, I mean, I'm old enough to have remembered when they finally, when they allowed direct marketing from the pharmaceutical companies to the public. And, and there was a time when they were not allowed to do that, which to me was the better way to do that. The physician, the personal physician made the decision about what medication to treat a patient with for their specific condition. And so uh, once they allowed direct marketing to patients, um, I mean, I I think if you watch a little TV, you would think everybody has psoriasis, mm -hmm. everybody has <laughs> inflammatory bowel disease, mm -hmm. um, erectile dysfunction is a big one too now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so the, the, they're targeting those types of things. Nobody is talking about uh, necessarily blood pressure medicines mm -hmm. or things like that. It's all, it's, some of it are just these uh, um, diseases that are not uncommon, but they're not common. I, they're in because they're the big money maker for the pharmaceutical industries and so um, patients get marketed they don't have the knowledge to make a decision is is this the best drug for my psoriasis for example i just saw it on tv um, and i don't i don't know if you have a comment on that matt you, you're nodding your head so it, it must ring true but i i think that that that's it just something. it makes me laugh i just <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it, 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 it's insane. It makes me laugh because you always see Humira uh, commercials and I'm like, well, what does Humira not cure? Yeah. Well, what does it not cause? Because it seems <laughs> from that commercial that if I broke my leg and took Humira, I'll be healed. It's like the holy grail, apparently, according to the advertisement. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. And it, it leaves, leaves public, the public who, who, you know, doesn't understand the science and the medicine behind it, confused about what to, to do. And, and um, I, you know, you might laugh about it, but I think it must work because the pharmaceutical in industries don't spend a lot of money on stuff if they don't think it's mm -hmm. going to work. So if they think that advertising directly to the public is going to work, they, they have data, I'm sure, and work. Um, but it's, it's, uh, 
every time I watch it, it's funny to me. And, and like I said, my husband's always like, just, how many people have this disease? I'm like, not that many. <laughs> and then <laughs> they like say, <laughs> add a little disclaimer down there that says, the, you know, your life can be wonderful. You can have love and fantasy and travel and everything, except sometimes it causes heart attack, stroke, and death. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, they, uh, it's silly to me that we spend all of this, like everybody's always concerned about taxes, right? Like taxes is the biggest argument in this country is I don't want to raise taxes or we need more taxes, but like we paid tax money to create those drugs through grants through the pharmaceuticals and then they're upcharging us thousands of dollars. And it's silly because my cat's a diabetic, right? I can buy a vial of his insulin for $93 and that might last three months. But the average person on the street has to buy to pay two grand for human insulin. I just don't understand how that works. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's uh, not, doesn't make a lot of sense, Matt. You're correct. And it's because they can, it's because they can, they mm -hmm. can get it, they can um, get away with it. And so I think that's, um, and it's interesting what you said about taxes, because I do think um, everybody is scared of saying that it's almost like a four letter word. Mm -hmm. uh, but the difference is uh, with a single payer system, you may pay more in taxes, but you don't have co-pays, you don't have deductibles, mm -hmm. you, you don't, and so it actually, the vast majority of people, even if they pay a little bit more in a payroll tax, will pay less and not have the burden of worrying about the economics of going to the doctor hanging over their head. So I think that's the thing that, that has not been explained very well uh, in the public sector. I, I don't know. Kay, I know you know this and you talk about it all the time, but I don't know that the politicians have explained it very well that actually this means you're going to be paying less. It's just a different pot. You're just, and you, and, and then you could just relax and not have to worry about what if I get sick? Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, okay, do you have a comment on that? Well, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I think that we went through um, a period of time when uh, there was a shift from uh, uh, the wealthier people paying more in the 30s and 40s and to putting the tax burden more onto working class people and middle income people. And with that shift, they made people highly conscious of the taxes because the taxes are huge mm -hmm. for you know people in modest income uh, you know uh, categories and less for those who are higher up. And then they use that to manipulate us and say, "Oh, you don't want your taxes to go up." No, we don't. I mean, we we want the taxes of those who are living on modest incomes to go down and those who are, you know, making a bundle. I mean, we have these billionaires who make so much money they could never spend it if they had a thousand lifetimes and they're not paying their fair share. So it has to be a progressive tax that begins to recover, you know, some of those capital gains uh, that have gone there. But, you know, that is the problem, Barbara, is that They've made many, many people very sensitive about right. tax increases because their incomes are really uh, make them concerned about any increase in expenses. Right, right, you know? right. Um, so we, we have to work on that and yeah. we have to make sure that uh, people understand that the single payer improved Medicare for all will you know, reallocate so that those of us who are spending a fortune for health coverage will spend less and that those who have been taking from our economy and not giving back will finally get the opportunity to pay their fair share and we will all have a chance to um, have the wonderful health care that our country has the ability to provide. Okay. Matt, I'm sure that you paid more than $750 in taxes last year, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I'm sure. Easy. Um, and I, 
can't even get a refund because I'm in bankruptcy. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, there's a story I heard, uh, about a German, uh, American in Germany and the American looks at the German and he goes, are you guys not patriotic? Why aren't you so patriotic? Like we are, you know, you don't see flags anywhere. You don't see, you guys don't wear the flag shirt. You're not just chanting USA or Germany all the time. And the guy's like, well, we believe our patriotism is the willingness to pay more out of pocket each of us so that everyone can live a life that's better. The patriotism we have in America is all performative. We will fly a flag and we'll hold hands and we'll chant USA and we'll shoot fireworks off and we'll get drunk and we'll party and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, we're not really doing anything to make sure that our neighbor's life is better if we're so unwilling to pay a little bit more. And I'm not even, like you said, it's not even us. The the lower income people aren't the ones who will be paying more. It'd be, we don't even, I don't even need the billionaires to pay a lot. They just need to pay a fair percentage. And it's because of their money that they have access to the people in power. So those people in power keep them with their money so they can keep their money coming to them so they can keep on getting reelected. It's an endless cycle where at the end of the day, the middle class and the lower class pay for the, you know, we're the ones that suffer because we don't have the access that others do. That's exactly right. It's, it's just a completely inequitable system. And I, so sorry again that you've been caught in the middle of this. So, yeah, it's it's not great. But if 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 I do, and I mean this sincerely, if if I can make something come from everything I've been through, if I can speak out for people who aren't able to or didn't get the platform that I was just given, if I can make some sort of difference to make this world more at least make this country, not the world, because we're the ones slacking right now, make this country more equal and better than I'll, you know, it's, it's worth going through this. It honestly is. If it's not about me, it's about we, that's, I'm not on earth just to live my life. I'm on earth to make everybody, to help improve the lives of people around me. Wow. That's a we, need more of you. <laughs> we need more of you, man. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it took, it honestly, I think it took me going through what I've been through to see that, you know, so I wasn't always so um, unselfish and I don't even know if I'm completely unselfish now. I just now see from dealing with what I've been through and I just, I speak out and you speak out and Kay speaks out so people don't have to go through what I've been through to see what's going on. But in, Unfortunately, for a lot of people, if they don't live it or if they don't see it, then it's not happening. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. And that's the one good thing social media has done is it's allowed us to get together and let people know stories that we that's been going on forever, but we never would have seen because we all live in our own little bubbles. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we really need to do something about healthcare since we've been faced with this pandemic. I know you work in a senior uh, uh, citizens institution. Is that right? Is it for seniors? Yeah. I live in an assisted living facility. I work Assist- in the um, <laughs> Has your, has your uh, institution been impacted by the COVID-19? Just the way we do things. Our, uh, my company has done a really good job keeping our residents safe. We haven't had any outbreaks that I know of and they test us weekly, bi-weekly. So every other week, everybody gets tested. Um, we have we have to uh, adhere to all social distancing guidelines from the CDC, which we do. You know, it's my, I'm blessed that I work for a truly uh, socially uh, aware and uh, socially responsible company. But there's, I've heard stories from other companies that have had 60 something people get it, not my company, but competitive companies. So, but I am blessed. I work for a, a good company that has done everything it's supposed to. So I've been fortunate enough not to really be impacted by the virus. It sounds like they were supportive of you during your illness as well. and. Mm-hmm. and- made sure you had your job and is, yep. is that correct that that's yeah. Cool. yeah they uh 
they took care of me. They took care of my family when I was in the hospital. They, I had uh, one of the cook I worked for would cook extra food with the permission from the CEO and bring it to my family while they were waiting for me while I was in a coma. Um, they've, you know, after the article came out, they called me and they're sending like the, the one of the seniors to help me with my insurance to find out a better way. Um, I've been blessed. I really am fortunate to work for a good company when, especially nowadays, it's really hard to find uh, decent companies that actually care about their employees. And I truly feel like mine does. Wow. That's fantastic. That's great. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, it's a hard world and we make it harder for ourselves by trying to make everybody richer and it's counter, it's counterintuitive because the majority of the people fighting about taxes aren't even going to be affected by tax hikes. Mm -hmm. It's this dream that one day we'll hit the lottery or I'll find oil in my backyard and then I'll be able to be a one percenter, but that's not going to happen. You know? I'm not sure the one percenters are very happy either, Matt. So. <laughs> How can they be happy when everybody around them has got all of these problems? I mean, one of the it's things that, that I believe is that, you know, we, we have public education because our kids live in a better world when all of the children are educated than if they just had education. And the same yeah. thing is true with healthcare. Uh, we can't have a healthy world if we can't share care for people throughout the society. And that's really, really important for us. Uh, you can't have lots and lots of sick people with no care and have a good world and a good life. And uh, we're really all in this together. And somehow together we plan to work on making sure that we get to a healthcare system where everyone gets the care that they need and nobody goes bankrupt mm -hmm. because they got sick. Um, we have uh, a couple of more minutes uh, before the end of our program. This is single payer radio. It's 106.5 FM forward radio. And uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Barbara Casper in Louisville and with Matt Fentress who is in Taylor Mill, which is in uh, Northern Kentucky. And uh, I'd like to ask if uh, either of you would like to have a final words for the audience. Um, Dr. Casper, if you wanna go first, you can. You, you go, go right ahead, Matt. This is, this is all about you. <laughs> all right, um, well, you know, the only thing I can really say if I, if I just want everybody to realize that it's about, like I said earlier, it's about we, not me. We got to be nice to each other. We got to help each other. We got to do what we can to make this world a better place. And if that means paying a little bit more in taxes, you know, pay a little bit more in taxes. I'll pay it. I'll gladly pay it, you know, and I don't even make that much, but I'll gladly do what I can to help my neighbor because ultimately that's what we're supposed to do for society to be functional we have to care about each other. So we need to be nice. Be nice. <laughs> That's great. I, one thing I'll say, Kay, is that first of all, Matt, again, I appreciate your courage of bringing your story to us. Um, and I wish that I could say as a physician, I had not heard this story before. Unfortunately, it's a very common scenario. And so um, I, I think it's really important that people know this is real and, and, and can attach a person to it. But we really need to do what you said, and that's to look at the common good and make a decision as a society that we don't want anybody to be 25 years old and have to declare bankruptcy just because they got a, an, an, a sickness. And, um, and, and we also should, as physicians and, and caregivers in that environment, uh, should be, our goal should be to care for people, not to make a lot of money. And I, I think that um, unfortunately, some of that has been lost along the way and, it, and, and medicine has become a business um, in a way that uh, makes me a little sad as somebody who's been practicing for 35 years. So. Well, thank you, Matt and Barbara. And uh, 
I encourage our, is, our listeners to tune in to Single Payer Radio. It's on Monday at 7 a.m. On Tuesday at, um, wait a minute, it's Monday at 2 p.m. Tuesday at 7 a.m. and Wednesday at 11 a.m. And you can always find the program if you go to forwardradio.org. That's 106.5 FM. And thank you so much for listening.